Hello and welcome to InspireMeToday.com. I'm your host, Gail Lynn Goodwin. Thank you for taking the time to join with us today. For you know, time is something that we seem to have, I don't know, a great shortage of these days. It seems the more connected we get with all the social media options available, the less time we seem to have. The more tools we get to simplify our lives, the busier and more complicated they seem to become. The more friends we have, quote friends, as in online, the more addictive social media can become. Today's guest is a serial change agent who colors outside the lines. His perpetual outlier status, utter lack of regard for status quo, and complete lack of formal education provide him with a fiercely unique and thoroughly entertaining perspective. You'll see why I invited him to be on this call with us today. His name is Jeff Einstein, and he's joining us today to talk about his new book, The Media Addict's Handbook, and more. I know you'll be inspired. Jeff, welcome to InspireMeTodayRadio.com. I am so honored to have you as a guest today. Thank you, Gail. It's, a great, it's great to be here. Well, you know that uh, from the very first moment I met you and the first time I interviewed you, you have been one of my favorite luminaries. And so I'm really grateful that you're back to talk to us today. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, I know I know a lot about you, but our our audience may not, our community may not. So tell us just a snippet of who you are, how you got to be, who you are, and then let's jump into the book. Great. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I have a long and, and uh, uh, background in digital media. I was a digital media pioneer. I, I authored the first, uh, first major how-to book series on personal computers called Einstein's Computer Guide. I just had a great last name. Yeah, there. no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I, I, never, I never touched a computer when I signed the book contract. Uh, but in any event, that sort of jump-started things in a different direction. And later that same year, in 1984... I co-founded the nation's first digital advertising agency, Einstein and Sandum Interactive, which uh, we sold in 1994, about a decade later, uh, to a media conglomerate, a large ad agency holding group, uh, just as the Internet was starting to heat up. So by the time everybody else was getting involved and all these young Turks entered the fray in the 19 mid-1990s for the dot-com era, I was already the wizened old man and basically way too old for this industry <laughs> that I started 10 years earlier. Love it. Love it. Well, social media, it is so easy to get sucked down the rabbit hole, for lack of better terminology. You, how do, Let me start at the beginning. How do I know, how does one know that you're addicted to social media, to media in general? I think the, the sure clue, the sure sign is if you carry a smartphone around with you, you can pretty much bet your bottom dollar that you have a dependency problem with media, all things media. What I say describes all things media and all things digital. Basically, we're all born like crack babies into this hyper-immersive media environment. The average American consumes almost 13, oh, 12 hours of media each and every day, commercial media each and every day, and now, I, it'd be hard-pressed to describe that as anything except an addiction. Okay, hang on a second. I want to go back to what you just said, 13, 12, 13 hours a day. Define what you're including, if you would please, Jeff, in that definition of media. All media includes uh, television, uh, computer, smartphones, basically every, everything that we're wired and unwired into uh, these days. It also includes print media, includes radio, Basically, all forms of commercial media in aggregate, the average American, according to Ball State University's Middletown Media Studies, which are actually conducted the first major large-scale uh, 
uh, observational study conducted way back in 2004 already concluded that the average American consumes 11.7 hours of commercial media each and every day. That's two third. That's almost three quarters of our all our waking hours. Wow. Okay. Well, let me ask. Let me lives. ask the obvious question: Why is this a problem? And if it is a problem, how do we break the addiction? Well, I don't know that we can break the addiction. But to to the answer to the other question. Um, uh, why is it a problem? Is because all addictions, regardless of the narcotic, steal our time and money and freedom. That's just what they do. That's the quid pro quo. They offer some sort of succor uh, or you know, reliable succor, relief or comfort or entertainment, and in exchange, we give them our time, our money, and our freedom. Yeah, but wouldn't a lot of people say that? Hey, having my smartphone with me makes me more easily accessible. It it allows me to do things like take a phone call for business when I'm out hiking in the woods, when otherwise I'd have to be sitting in my office all day. Well, okay, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is what actually happened in the mid-1990s when the digital pipeline opened up from the Internet into our homes was that all these, these incredibly powerful, these immensely powerful digital tools of scale, tools that were never designed to improve the quality of life, but were, were designed to enhance and improve productivity, all these tools suddenly migrated from the office where they started, where all this began. Digital revolution didn't sure. start in our homes. It started in the office. And they migrated from the office into our bedrooms and our kitchens and our living rooms, and they were rebranded and refashioned as consumer devices, consumer mm. gadgets. Right, and in the in that migration, the nature of our lives changed. Suddenly, everything was was massively accelerated. Suddenly, it was impossible to distinguish on many fronts between our work lives and our home lives. True, and, and we basically became tools of our tools, and they are they are just immensely entertaining. They're immensely addictive. None of them came with any of the Surgeon General's warning labels <laughs> that you might, might associate with other drugs and other controlled narcotics. Yeah. Warning but this nevertheless, may... they changed our lives immensely. So if it came with a warning that said, warning, this might ruin the balance in your life. Yeah, yeah. That this, uh, this is going to profoundly change your life. And in some of those, some of those ways uh, may not be so good. Exactly. Well, how do we get the balance back, Jeff? What do you suggest? Well, I'm more of of the the moderation school of addiction. Uh, I don't believe that addiction is a disease. I I believe that addiction is essentially a very normal coping strategy to a kind of mad, insane world, and that it sort of comes and goes in our lives. You know, the mainstream media addiction recovery uh, folks and the American Medical Association and the entire judicial system defines addiction as a disease, as something that requires immediate intervention and immediate professional help, and is essentially a chronic progressive disease that will kill you if left untreated. I don't see it that way. I think we're wired for addiction. Our brains are wired to seek out pleasure and avoid pain, and those are the two things that all our narcotics do for us. They help us avoid pain, and they help they provide pleasure for us. That's the quid pro quo. We give them all our money and all our time and all our freedom. 
Okay, so when we're not feeling good about ourselves or when we're fearful about anything in our lives, we turn to Facebook? Is that kind of we where... We turn to Facebook, we turn on the TV, we uh, listen to the radio. Yeah, essentially we treat our media and we treat our digital gadgets as narcotics, the same way we would treat narcotics, and they provide the same level of succor and relief and the same basic chemical response in our brains as any other narcotic, as any other addiction. It's a really and over time, addictions rewire our brains. So they that having our cell phones with us, with the text messaging on during dinner at a restaurant with friends becomes normal. Yes, it becomes a normal thing to do, and it becomes an accepted fact of society. We bring into our lives. We don't notice our addiction to media because everyone around us is a media addict. You know, it's funny. I was just traveling in the Caribbean last week, and sitting in the St. Thomas Airport, I was sitting next to my sister, and I commented. I said, look around you just for a moment. There were 17 people in the room other than us, and 16 of the 17 were on devices, just yes. sitting there, clicking and texting, and no one was talking or interacting with the person that they were with. And I made the comment to my sister, I wonder how many of them, when they leave this environment and get to wherever they're going, will then text the person that they were sitting here with, that they could have been talking to when they were here, but now they're talking. Do you know what I mean? We're, yes, it always seems that we're... We call that massive disconnect connectivity. Yeah, well, exactly. It's like you're connected to so many people, but you're not connected. I, I pulled out my phone and I showed it to my sister and I said, look, mine's off. I'm looking in your eyes. I'm talking to you. I'm not going to see you a week from now. A week from now, I will have to text. But look at the funny, you know, the, the funny phenomenon in this room that no one is talking to anyone. And it just really struck yes. me. Well, you know, all... It's a, you know, anytime you stop long enough to look up and see what's going on around you, it becomes absolutely apparent what's going on. Oh, exactly. What's going on, essentially, is that everyone is busy connecting to the ether and disconnecting from their immediate environments. So how do we break the pattern, Jeff? All addiction recovery works essentially the same way, regardless of the methodology. All addiction recovery basically seeks to replace the rituals of addiction, the self-serving rituals of addiction, a lot, oftentimes addiction is described as uh, obsessive-compulsive behavior ritualized. So all addiction recovery works by, over time, by gradually replacing the self-serving rituals of addiction with more meaningful rituals, rituals that contribute to our spiritual, our social our emotional or our physical well-being. That's how they all work. So if you're an alcoholic and you go to an AA meeting and then one day after work, instead of going to the bar to have drinks with your friends the way you used to, suddenly you pick up the phone and you make a program call or you go to another meeting. You're in essence just intervening at that moment in time and replacing a self-serving ritual with a more meaningful ritual. So if we were to look at tangible steps that someone could take, to actually break that addiction or to at least, first off, recognize that there's a problem and then secondly, think, okay, here's an opportunity. Would you suggest something as easy as when you are in someone else's presence, turn off your cell phone, put it away, yeah. and actually focus on that person? Yes. Uh, the, I, I, I offer in the back third of the, of, uh, the Mediac's handbook is dedicated to a program that helps people Re restore and reclaim the quality of life. I define the quality of life 
as a function of how and where and with whom we invest our time and faith. And when we become addicts, we invest all of our time and our faith in our addictions, in our obsessive-compulsive behaviors. Addiction is always about the behavior. It's never about the specific narcotic. It's never about the narcotic. It's always about the behavior, and all addictive behavior is the same regardless of the narcotic. So sex addicts behave the same way as heroin addicts who behave the same way as cocaine addicts who behave the same way as compulsive gamblers and so forth. And, and media addicts, while we're acting out with our media devices, right. are, are behaving the same way as heroin addicts. But wouldn't some, people, Jeff, wouldn't some people tell you, wait a minute, this is progress? Well, it, it may, you know, I, you know, I, I think that anything that basically gets in the way of our relationships, that interferes with the quality of our life, the whole assertion of the book, the reason why I wrote the book is because I, you know, many years ago, it occurred to me that the quality of life was in decline. And that was in spite of the fact that we had all these great media experts, all these financial experts, all these relationship experts, all these health and nutrition experts talking to us 24-7 across thousands of different channels and millions of websites, and yet 15 years, 20 years into the digital revolution, into the Internet age, we're poorer, we're sicker, and our, and our divorce rate has gone through the roof. How is that possible? How is it remotely possible that we can have all this great common sense advice being poured into us, being fed to us through a fire hose, and yet still wound up, wind up worse off for all this great advice? Exactly. And the answer is because we're addicted and because addictions basically erode the quality of life. And you can't drink from a fire hose. And you can't drink from a fire hose. So we basically, we, we grow up now and we live our lives immersed in this perception of deprivation in the midst of all this abundance around us. We're all sort of dying spiritually from, from the uh, perception of deprivation. We can't get enough. It's such an interesting dichotomy, isn't it? Yeah. Well, talk, yeah, to me, very interesting. talk to me a little bit about time, Jeff, because I know that's something that's near and dear to your heart. One of your quotes that I remember, and again, correct me if I get this wrong, you said something along the line of, time is God's most inspired gift to us and our most precious inventory. And I couldn't agree with you more because we do only have so much time. But yet I think a lot of people are social or are media addicts specifically because they think it's going to save them time or give them more time. So help me wrap my head around this. That, that, that's a very interesting dichotomy in and of itself. The, the fact of the matter is that we nowadays we devote almost all of our waking time to our time-saving devices. Is that not just, I mean, if you say that again, that's kind of funny. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, really? It's, it's something that, Lou, you mentioned going down the rabbit hole before. This is exactly what happens in late-stage addiction is that the world sort of turns upside down and everything that used to work for you starts working against you. So we find that now in our, in our, in our digital systems, in these huge dis systems of scale. The same digital technology that created millions of jobs in the dot-com era in the mid to late 1990s is stealing those jobs away now. Those jobs are going away. And they're, you know, they're, they're fewer and fewer being created every day because the systems, we've pushed all of our systems to extreme 
And any systems engineer will tell you that when you push a system to extreme, it begins to exert the opposite effect. It starts sure. working backwards. Sounds like one of so Einstein's principles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the digital technology that created jobs you know, are destroying jobs now. The digital technologies that the, the miracle science that cures us becomes iatrogenic disease and kills hundreds of thousands of people a year or so, deprives millions of people of, of access by increasing costs to health care. So all these systems that we've created, all these time-saving devices are now, in essence, stealing our time, they're stealing our money, and they're stealing our freedom. You know, a lot of people say, yeah, but look at all this increased choice we have, all this consumer choice we have, which is true. There's no doubt about it. We, have, we can buy a thousand brands of soap, we can buy a thousand different kinds of cars, we have... Overwhelming, you know, paralyzing choice. It, it, it is. It's a, I call it the paralysis of opportunity. Exactly. Uh, but that's not real freedom. Real freedom is the freedom not to participate. Real freedom is the freedom not to vote. Not to, you know, it's great to have the freedom to vote, but when push comes to shove, if someone's put the gun to your head and says, you better vote for me, then you can't walk away. The real freedom becomes the freedom not to participate, and that's the first thing that our addictions steal from us, regardless of the narcotic, is the freedom not to participate. That's why it's on all the time. We so can't Jeff, turn it off. What, did you write this book, A, to make people aware of the problem, or B, to help people not only realize it, but provide tangible steps to enrich their lives in a deeper way? Both. And I think the answer is both. Uh, I, I first wanted to bring the, the, attention, the problem to people's attention because it, it is a forest for the trees environment that we live in. We don't notice our, that this massive super addiction to all things media and all things digital simply for the fact that everybody around us is afflicted by the same addiction. And the only things we notice are less prevalent addictions to less prevalent drugs. So I thought that first I wanted to provide a macro overview of the problem so people could see the forest for the trees yeah. and then suggest a really gentle and really simple you know, method, this program of dealing with it and moderating our own behavior over time and restoring and reclaiming the quality of life that this addiction basically steals from us. You know, and I'm one of the guiltiest people in this, in that first off, as you know, I run a media-based inspirational website. So yep. that's media. Uh, but interesting, I'm, as I mentioned, I just got back from a few weeks sailing in the Caribbean. And part of the part part of the geog geographical area that we sail is close enough to St. John, even though it's in the British Virgin Islands, that we ping off the AT&T Tower on St. John and still get cell services if we're in the U.S. Yep. And so it got to the point that the days that I am closest to the cell towers and people can reach me and I can be reached are not nearly as relaxing and enjoyable for me as the days that I don't turn on my phone because I know I'm roaming on some outrageously expensive system. Yep. And I thought... Yep. Hmm. Knowing that I was going to interview you, I have been thinking about this, you know, subconsciously or consciously, or maybe both. And I just found it really one of those, hmm, kind of moments for me of realizing, well, what would it be like if I had a day or two a week that I didn't turn on my computer, that I didn't answer my cell phone? What would that be like? 
have, have you had that uh, the opportunity since? Well, I've been back uh, less than 48 hours. So okay. no, and I came back to four interviews back to back and things to yeah. catch up on. But yeah. um, as I mentioned to you earlier, we're building a little retreat up inside Glacier National Park called Glacier Bear Retreat. And we're right now deciding, do we want to put internet in the house? Do we yeah. want to have cell service? Do we want to have phone service? It's those kind of things because to me it's, it's quote, pulling a Walden. Do you know what I mean? It's going yeah. into the woods to yeah. be, not to do, but to yeah. be, to just be. And so few places on this earth provide us with that opportunity in an easy, simplistic manner. Well, Mark, you know, if, if, for what it's worth, my suggestion is that you don't wire the house for Internet that you maintain the original intent and integrity of the intent. If the intent is to provide a retreat, what are people retreating from is the question. Exactly. What are they getting away from? What are they, you know, and, and for my money, you know, all addiction, or especially late-stage addiction, which is how I would qualify where we are right now in our relationship with media and technology, all late-stage addiction is fought with what, I, with what uh, recovering addicts called call unmanageable complexity, which gives rise to a perpetual state of anxiety and stress. And, you know, it's, it's like you've got five minutes of the drug in your system and you feel great, and then for the next 23 hours you feel lousy because all you can think about is the next five minutes of putting the drug back into your system, the next fix, basically. That's why the smartphone, the smartphone liberated us as addicts because we can carry it around with us all the time and get fixes whenever we need to. <laughs> no kidding. You know, and I actually had one girlfriend that um, she's on Twitter, she's on Facebook, and she has hundreds of thousands of followers. But all she does, if we're walking on a beach together, all she wants to do is take a picture of me so I can post it, so I can tell people where I am because I'll get more followers. Oh, and I said, at what point are you allowed to enjoy the beach? Yeah. And her comment said, you know, said said so much to me, said volumes of what she couldn't say. She said, you don't understand. I'm expected to do this. And I just said, by whom? By whom? You, you, yeah. you know, you accumulate all these numbers for what end goal, for what end purpose? You know, I've, I've never, I say in the introduction to the book that one of the many reasons why no one will ever confuse me for an academic or scholar of any sort is because of my steadfast refusal to cite statistics. That, that number from the Middletown Media Study that I cited to you from 2004 was simply the last time I checked the numbers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, just, I don't do that for a numerous reasons, not least of which, because numbers and metrics from my, my background in digital marketing and media, I've always thought that metrics never describe what works as much as they describe what can be sold. And to me, I think what works is, are you happy? You know, yes, do, you have deep, right. do you have deep, loving, sustainable relationships with people around you that matter? Are yeah. you doing things in your life that bring you joy? You know, those are the metrics that I guess I want, that I would choose to live my life by, more so than how many, quote, friends do I have on any social media platform, or how many, you know, faces am I in front of? And, well, the and friends I, that you incur through social media are quantifiable because they show up as a number. The friends in your life are, are not. 
Correct. The important things in our lives defy quantification. They defy the numbers. For, you know, they're there for a reason. They're, we, they're, you know, the important things in our lives are a lot harder to explain than the numbers. You know, it's really funny that you say that, Jeff, because I was at a social media conference and I actually invited someone out to dinner and I made the comment to her that you're somebody that I think I'd really like to be friends with. And she said, we already are on Facebook. And I said, that's not what I mean. I mean, like spending time together. She said, I don't have time for those kind of things. I'm too busy with all my online friends. And I thought, wow, one of us is really missing something here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, I I, I watch my own daughter and how she's uh, 14 now. And I watch how she uses her smartphone uh, which she uses in every capacity except for the phone, as far as I can gather. <laughs> uh, but she, I remember when I was growing up, and the knock on teenage girls would, it would be that they would sequester themselves in their rooms with an extension phone plugged into the wall sure. and speak with their friends all night long. And the, and the mother right. and the father would go nuts. And that was, that was the general perception of things. Now, I watch my daughter... And she basically texts all her friends. She never talks to them on the phone, as far as I can, I can gather. And she texts with them, and it's the equivalent of the 21st century. And, you know, I think she's a better writer than I was at her age because she texts so much. Of course. On the one hand. On the other hand, I think it may be dif- more difficult for her to express herself verbally um, b- because she, you know, she doesn't get that kind of practice. Of course. So, in the at what point with, with a telephone? At what point, Jeff, and specifically, you know, with your daughter, as you're stating, at what point do we interview intervene in the addiction? Do we wait till they're grown up addicts, or do we start teaching these kind of principles in schools and seeing if we can shift this before we create another whole generation of addicts? Well, you know, I, I obviously talk a lot to a lot of people about media as addiction, and a lot of people come to me and they say, "Why, you know?" What, you should be talking at schools. You should be talking to kids. And I say to them, listen, I can talk till I'm blue in the face to kids about media addiction and addiction to all things digital in their lives. But if they go home and they see their sure. parents... Yep, they're going to roll uh, their eyes at you. Yeah, they, they, the kids will do as we do. They won't do as we say. Exactly. And if the kids are raised in a media-immersive environment, in an addicted environment... Well, why not? You know, my, my daughter, I, I believe, I firmly believe, is every bit as addicted to these things as I am. And that's and it's because not, she grew up in a household that, that was basically wired. So is she now seeing a change with your realization and your step toward being unaddicted? Well, I, we talk about this a lot, and there are certain places where she can't bring her phone and certain things that we do in, in time that we have together where things are just off. And, and the, the devices are just off. And, you know, it's just, I think it's a function of requesting and requiring private time. Sure. Quiet, quiet time in your lives. And, and you know, just creating no, no, uh, no, no device zones or the equivalent where there's certain things can't come to the dinner table. So if you're going to sit down and watch TV, then we sit down together and watch TV. Otherwise, and no, no more than one screen at one time. Yeah. You know, which is the norm now. Most people watch TV with at least one other screen. On. I'm not aware of that. That's crazy. Yeah, 
you know, they call it, they call it the second screen in the media circles and the agencies and the guys who measure this stuff for whatever reason uh, call it second screen. Boy, and, uh, it's enough sensory overload just turning on one channel. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, it's interesting that every device that's been introduced into the consumer world to help us ostensibly consume more media or to 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 mitigate our usage, like the remote control, the uh, the VCR, then the DVR. All these devices initially were given to people, and part of the sales pitch was, well, this will help people moderate their, their consumer usage. When, in fact, everyone knew, or anyone who knew anything about media knew, that these would only increase media usage and by basically creating more hours during which people could see what they wanted to see. Wow. Well, Jeff, the book, the the Media Addicts Handbook, when will it be out? It's out now. It's available on Amazon.com in paperback, and there's also a Kindle version. Perfect. Um, Yeah. And uh, and I've just started speaking to to doing group events uh, here in New York City, um, speaking with a number of faith-based organizations and a number of, of, uh, of civic groups. Uh, I'm also uh, also started talking with uh, a couple of corporations and, and basically telling them how they can, where everybody else is telling them how digital productivity and digital tools, what they can do to, for them, I'm describing what these same tools are doing to them and how they inhibit our ability to conduct business and inhibit innovation and inhibit creativity. Uh, which is, again, part and parcel of the systems pushing back against us and operating in reverse. Once again, you're leading the charge back in the 90s or the 80s to bring us into it and now to help us realize what we got ourselves into. Yeah, I've been trying to redeem myself ever since. (laughs) That's a good way of looking at it, Jeff. Well, I really appreciate your sharing all this information with us. It certainly makes me think about redefining the word connecting. I mean, seriously, you know, there's connecting with multitudes or connecting with an individual on a much deeper level. Well, you know, in the same sense that we've redefined the word friends to suit the technology. Of course. And we sort of dumbed down the word. But I I think it's time. I think you're right. I think it's time to sort of up the ante again. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Wow. Well, again, the book is The Media Addicts Handbook. And you're listening to an interview with Jeff Einstein. And Jeff, we'll go ahead and put your contact information, a link to purchase the book, all of that right on our site at inspiremetoday.com. So to our listeners, if you're checking this out while you're at the gym or you're out running or walking in the woods or whatever you do when you listen to this MP3, um, just know that you can come back to Inspire Me Today, go to the search box, put in Jeff Einstein. And all the information that you need for reading Jeff's amazing, wonderful Today's Brilliance, as well as finding contact information for him and where to buy the book will be right there for you. So we appreciate it. And Jeff, again, I'm really grateful for the insights that you've shared. You've talked a lot about media and addiction, but I know that there's a lot more to you than just that. I'm not diminishing that in any way, but you were one of the deepest, coolest people that I've met in a long time. And so I want to ask you this question and make it a comprehensive answer and take it anywhere you want to go, all right? The question is this. 
If you were to summarize your greatest wisdom that you have learned in life, to pass on to others right here, right now, what would you want to share? I would want to go back to what you mentioned earlier about time being our most precious gift and our most precious inventory. And to reiterate the notion that how and where and with whom we spend our time determines the quality of life. So, you know, I, I, and, and the, the, the further notion that, that time, you know, once it's gone, is gone forever. That you know, the universe decides, God, whomever decides when we come into this universe and when we depart this universe but it's up to us to make choices on a moment-by-moment basis, every moment in between. So be deliberate in your thinking. Remember that the quality of life in what I call the great age of mediation is subtractive, that you can't improve the quality of your life by adding more. You can only improve it by subtracting and disintermediating in this day and age. So slow down, let go of failure, let go of things that don't work, and proceed on a path of what I call deliberate simplification. Look for every opportunity to simplify your life. It doesn't mean necessarily adding your smartphone with a whole bunch of new apps that will allow you to get someplace faster. You know, believe in serendipity. Believe in the wrong turn. Turn off the GPS. Give yourself... Give the universe a chance to work. I'm sitting here smiling, just smiling, listening, soaking all this in. I'm taking the month of January and doing deliberate simplification and going into the woods, pulling a Walden cell, you know, as I mentioned. Yeah. And signing off for a month to go into the woods to see what that will feel like and how that changes my life. And I got to tell you, Jeff, I am incredibly looking forward to it. Of just, well, I'm, I'm envious. I, I, that sounds great. Of just what's going to come from something like that. It's going to be a real adventure. You know, I think you can fully expect to experience withdrawals once you unplug. You know, you unplug for five minutes. If you leave your smartphone at home, all you're thinking about for the next three hours is what, what the hell happened to my smartphone. Of course. What, what, what am I going to do without it? So I think you can fully expect, like any other withdrawal from any other narcotic, to feel physical symptoms of anxiety and longing and cravings. But once you get into it for, you know, a day or so, a day or two, I think it's going to be a remarkable experience for you. Well, I'll certainly keep you posted. How's that? (laughs) Please do. Please do. I'd be really interested to hear what happens. I'd be really interested in particular to hear what happens in the first couple of days. Well, I figured I'm going to just journal it. And that's that will be my, you know, my electronic fix, so to speak, is I'll write it on my on my laptop. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to have to turn off the Wi-Fi portion so that I'm not tempted to jump down the rabbit hole. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Because that's, right. that's always do what, the part. Do what you can to resist it. It's a powerful urge. Absolutely. But, well, Jeff, again, thank you for being with us. This is really interesting stuff for me to just sit, contemplate, think about, and more importantly, to realize that oh my goodness. I'm an addict, and I never thought I was in any way until when you say this. It's like, oh, yeah, you're talking to me, and I get that. Yeah. So. Well, again, that's the default condition. Uh, That's what I see as the default condition. You know, but the the good news is that there's plenty to smile about, 
And, you know, the, the technologies are there for a purpose, and it's really more a function of moderation in our lives than anything, like anything else. It's a function of moderation. Excellent. Well, I would rather go deeper with few than more shallow with many. So this is something that I will take to heart. This is my takeaway is to look at how this applies to me and my own personal life and the quality of my life. So again, Jeff, from my heart to yours, thank you for sharing your brilliance with us. We greatly appreciate you. My pleasure. Thank you, Gail. Absolutely. And to our listeners, our community, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. So thank you for spending part of your day with us. Come on back again next week. We'll bring you inspiration from another incredible luminary. And until then, remember, it's only when you have the courage to step off the ledge that you'll realize you've had wings all along. We love you. We're here for you. We'll see you again tomorrow. And thanks again for stopping by. It's your dream, it's your sky.